So I met VG uh, a dozen years ago or so uh, in Oakland when we lived in Oakland. And uh, pretty much after, shortly after meeting her, she roped me into something that was way outside my comfort zone. And uh, it was stretching and it was difficult. And she seems to have a way of doing that. And it has continued for a dozen years, I think, uh, stretching and uh, putting me into situations that are a little challenging. So uh, VG was the missions pastor at First Covenant Church out in Oakland for about 13 years. Uh, in 2003, she completed work on a Ph.D. She has a Ph.D. in literature and theology. And at that time, she ended her time as missions pastor and took on a new endeavor with a little organization called Little Flock Children's Home, which was founded in 2004. We're going to talk a little bit about that. She's a native of India. She grew up in Chennai, which is near uh, the location where Little Flock Orphanage is. She was uh, raised in a, in a Hindu family. She came to faith in Christ in college. Uh, particularly significant was her time in the U.S. And she's a person whose life has been deeply impacted and transformed by her relationship with Jesus. And so I'm really pleased uh, to call her friend. She's a, a wonderful woman. She has a lot to say about the way life is and the way we need to be as followers of Jesus. And so would you please uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Viji Kamath. I'm really glad to be here. I had so many people from your church. A third of your church was in India this summer. <laughs> so it feels like, uh, you know, coming home to people I know. And uh, it was just great to have the family with the kids. You know, they, they made it all okay. You know, when adults panic and children are at peace, then you begin to learn. So I'm, I'm, I think I might need a little bit of light here. We don't have light, okay? Uh, that's good. Because <laughs> you, you want me to, you know, speak legible, I mean, you know, clearly. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, that, that helps a little. Okay. So I'm going to talk about what happened after Christ was born. I think we've been in so many churches and uh, the nativity, you know, ends with the birth of Christ, Right. And then people want to know, especially who don't know the story, what happened to him after that? You know? And so I want you to look at um, some scriptures. Let's see. Let's go to Luke. And um, Luke chapter 4. We'll start, um, we'll start at 18. We'll start at verse 16, actually. The whole, um, I chose these several scriptures just, just to show what happened to Christ after his birth and what, happened, what happens to people when they encounter Christ. And in this, um, from chapter 4, verses 16 onwards, you get a sense of what happened. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Now I can read, you know, if I make mistakes, I would have no excuse. <laughs> okay, it says his parents brought him, you know, to the temple, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue as his custom was on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and there was given to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closes the book, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. And all the eyes of everyone in the synagogue is fixed on him. He's very young at the stage. And he begins to say to them, Today, this scripture which I just read has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So they are surprised. They expect him to just come up and do the scripture reading, just like anybody would in church. Just come up, read the scripture, go sit down, or pray, go sit down. But something happens when they hear him read the scriptures. Everybody is just still fixed on him. He sits down, and then he tells them, I have fulfilled this. I'm here to fulfill this. What you will notice as you see Jesus interacting with people is, Whenever he says something or does something, some believe and some don't believe. Often when I talk to people about Jesus, they say, if he can just zap me with something, I'll believe. Why I say to them, what if you were there when Jesus was baptized? The heavens open up. Voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased got to be thunderous voice right and the holy spirit descends upon him like a dove would you believe i'd be flat on my face but there were some who were there and still did not believe so this happens throughout jesus's ministry some will believe and some will not believe so he goes on from this so he's made very clear these are some of the reasons for which christ came He said, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recover sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So from here, I'd like to move on to Matthew 25, where he tells us, he gives us instructions on what we are to do as his followers. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. He's talking to his disciples. He's instructing them about different things. And then he goes on to say, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the ghosts, and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Another surprising element, isn't it? They're thinking, when were you in these situations? And he says, when you served these people who couldn't help themselves and who are in these conditions, you get to serve me. I often think there isn't very much we can do to serve Christ. But here he gives very clear instruction, this is how you can serve me. So by doing these things and other instructions from James 1, 27, uh, he says, Pure religion, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. So our ministry at Little Flock began with these commandments. It isn't something we felt so deeply within us, but as we followed Christ and he is instructing us, this is how you are to serve. This is who you have to take care of. We felt that we needed to do something about the orphans and widows. And before that, a few things happened. I saw a movie, and someone recommended an Indian film. They said, oh, you know, I said, okay, Indian film with, you know, English subtitles, I'll go to it. Just fun thing, I took a few international students with me, and we went. It wasn't just an Indian film. It's a true life story of a young girl who was married off, and she was very little and abused all her life by men. I, I think it was so painful, I mourned for three days. I couldn't stop. So I went to my Christian psychologist friend, and I said, am I okay? I'm, am I going to stop at some point? And I'm like in a daze. I can't stop feeling this pain. And he said, you're doing the right thing. Feel it fully. Don't escape it. So that was like the beginnings of thinking we should do something. We were in a small group, and I said to the small group, what if you took two years off? And we all went and built a center and took care of these women and children. And half of them wanted to go and the other half didn't want to go. So we didn't do anything about it immediately. Then in 2001, there was an earthquake in India, in Gujarat. And 150,000 lives were lost. It made very little news in the U.S. But 150,000 lives were lost. And I went with a friend to explore the possibilities of doing something. Our church helped build five homes in that area. And we heard about 7,000 children who became orphans overnight. Overnight. And there was nothing really there for them. And um, we heard lots of these stories. So in 2000, and then we heard from World Vision that every night as we sleep, 35,000 children will die. Every night as we sleep, 35,000 children will die due to lack of shelter, food, and uh, safety. That also, all of these things were stirring within us, and uh, we thought we have to do something. So that's how Little Flock Ministry began in 2004. We started in January of 2004, and uh, God provided. We had no experience, this band of, um, <laughs> these board members, you know. These people, we were all well-intentioned. We wanted to obey the commands of Christ, but we had no experience. So I got a name, and I went to India and um, thought I'd pursue this name and went to send a letter at the Internet Cafe, and um, nothing is private or personal in India. Somebody, the person who owned the Internet Cafe said, you know, why do you want to see this man? 
I could have said, why do you read my letter? And he said, this man is too big for you. He said, you don't want him. I told him, we're trying to start an orphanage. So he said, I'll find you someone else who's been waiting for such an opportunity. So I've just went to send this little internet thing, and I'm there for half an hour, one hour, waiting. But I knew that God was doing something, because we didn't have all of the stuff, you know, ahead of time on how to do this. So then he happened to be a chairman of a church locally. I didn't know very many churches. And then he brought his deacon who came and uh, spoke to me for a half an hour. And the next Sunday, I was invited to the executive board meeting. All of this, you know, you know, I have no way of doing this. It was becoming fun because I thought, what's tomorrow going to bring? Who's going to knock on the door? You know, and so I was waiting. And so I went to their executive board meeting and... Um, you know, from there, things began to set itself in place. And that person is our project officer now that I met in the Internet Cafe. And then when I went, um, you know, to look for, you know, my brother helped me find the land. We had so many fraudulent things, lands in India. But he found one through an attorney who's a very devout um, Brahmin. And uh, I remember meeting him and um, thinking, you know, this is a very wealthy man. They charge you a huge fee. It's not like the realtors here, but the attorneys charge you the fee. And so I thought to myself, he doesn't need our money. We hardly have any money. And then I was praying about it, and God said, you know, he, does, he will return your money or something like that. Don't pay him. So I told my brother, who was not about to listen to me, he said, you just come and talk. Don't ask him for any kind of concession. So at the end, I found out that his son had Down syndrome. So I offered to pray for his son, and he immediately accepted it called his wife, she came, brought the son, I prayed for him. Towards the end, I said to him, you know, can you serve us in any way? You know, use this good word. He said, what do you mean? I said, your fee. <laughs> and he said, well, what about it? And I, you know, he said, pay me whatever you want. So I gave him three quarters of the money. And he took it. I went home and I still feel, didn't feel good about it. I felt he didn't need that money. So the next morning I woke up, I felt like he was going to refund it. I didn't tell my brother anything. But we were going by his office. I didn't even go into his office because I didn't want to annoy my brother anymore. And so um, I sat in the car, and my brother came out, and he said, the attorney wants to see you. So I went in, and he said, you overpaid me yesterday. I said, no, I didn't. He said, take the money and count it. So I counted it, and he said, uh, I said, it's exactly what I paid you. He said, I don't want the money, and I won't ever charge you anything again. I'll do all your services for free. That's how God provided. So we got an attorney that way. Then he put us on to an auditor. All of these people served us for free. And God then provided the land that we needed. And um, we had our 25 children in 2006. They came, and in 2007, we took our first team. Every year from 2004, we took teams. But we served in other orphanages. We served in other uh, ministries, and we tried to see if we could partner with somebody else instead of starting our own. But we found that our philosophy was very different from theirs. We wanted a place that would have beauty, and it would be a place where children can think freely and have you know, imagination about something in the future. We didn't want them in cramped quarters, which is what we saw. Just providing a place and food was not all that we wanted. We wanted to say to Christ, we provided the best for your least. So that was very counterculture and counter to many organizations. So that's how we began. And we have seen the lives of these children touched and transformed by Christ's love. 
there are humans who are, you know, human beings there who love and take care of them, but it's imperfect. I think only Christ's love is perfect. And over the years, I've seen that <clears throat> change come in their lives. But there are millions of others who have not had this opportunity, and still there's work to be done. Um, from the beginning, I believe that God gave us the ability to love and care. But in the Garden of Eden, with the fall of Adam and Eve, it got spoiled. I think we've become increasingly self-centered, self-focused, and selfish. <clears throat> and we do not care. We don't want to find out. It's very painful to find out. For some time, I wouldn't even want to watch any show that had anything to do with children suffering because I felt like I couldn't bear it. I couldn't watch it, but that was their reality. So I said, if I'm going to watch it, I have to do something. It cannot be entertainment or information for me. That's not okay. We have to do something about it. So even now, I don't watch unless I can do something about it because I believe there's enough resources in the world to house clothe and feed every individual, right? We do, but it's not getting properly distributed. It is not being distributed. Just like gospel is not distributed around the world, this kind of care is not being distributed. And I see it in the face of so many children being trafficked in the sex industry, millions of children uh, in the soldier, becoming soldiers and forced labor, Children losing an opportunity to have their childhood, you know, they, they don't even know what it is to be a child. I mean, you see it and it's painful. And so many children becoming orphaned by AIDS. You know, every second a child will get orphaned by AIDS in the world. And so many of them homeless. And why should they die? Because lack of shelter. And um, so when I thought of this, I, I was wondering, why have we become like this? Is, it, is this what becomes to us? And I want to use two stories to point that to care for another is instinctual. God gave us that instinct to think about and care for people who are in need and not to just um, be immune to it. And I read the story in the Oakland Tribune about a dog that saved a baby. The mother had abandoned the baby um, somewhere. And this dog had had a litter of puppies and went across the street, I think heard the cries of this baby abandoned, and brought it and was protecting it and taking care of it along with its puppies. Can you imagine that? The animals have an instinctual nature of caring. But what happened to human beings who are above animals, right? We are not caring. How could this mother abandon her newborn baby? You've heard about this. Here, you know, they leave them in dumpsters and other places. What happens to the humans that they have lost that ability? Has it dried up? Is it poverty? Is poverty justifiable to abandon a baby? Nothing. There is something that is creeping into us that makes us so self-centered, selfish, that we don't want to care. So this baby, then the authorities found out, I think they would... Somebody heard the cry of the baby along with the puppies, and the government came and rescued this baby and, and was able to take care of this baby. And another story I uh, heard about and read um, was about this um, little boy who, as his mother was, um, you know, had become pregnant and the baby was growing within her womb, 
she would have this little boy relate to this baby by singing to the baby. Because he wanted to be a part of that baby's life. And so he would sing, you are my sunshine, you know, uh, you make me happy, the song. When the baby was born, the doctor said there was something seriously wrong with the baby. And that they would have to prepare for its death. Because it just could not live uh, with these complications. So the parents were preparing for the child's, you know, the tomb and all this, buying a ground, this kind of stuff. The little boy kept asking to see his sister. And they wouldn't let this little boy into the ICU. So one day I think the mother felt at least he should be able to say goodbye to his sister. So she took him, covered him up in a trench coat and tried to pass him off as an adult. And I think the nurses saw and said, you cannot do that. She said, I don't care. She said, I'm just going to take him. She took him and he saw his little sister hooked up to all these tubes and machines and everything like that. And he began to sing the song, You Are My Sunshine. And as he began to sing the song, the baby began to respond began to respond, and the nurse came in and saw that there was something normal coming back into the baby's life. And she said, Keep, make him sing more. <laughs> and as he kept on singing, the baby completely came back to normal life and was released, I think, the next day to go home instead of to the graveyard. That is the power of love of a child. You know, the baby recognized the brother's voice responded to the voice of love. There was a relationship there already and lit. So I think that for us who have come to know Christ and have been transformed by his presence in our lives and transformed by the power of love, how much more can we do for the dying, for the suffering and the oppressed? Can we not do more than the dog or this little baby brother, we can. And that's why he tells us, you know, this is what you can do. You know, if you follow me, I think to myself, is it possible to love everybody equally? Is it possible to love unconditionally and selflessly? I don't think it's possible humanly. I think we love some people, we don't like other people, you know, this is the way we are. And unless we have ourselves been transformed by the love of Christ, we cannot love others that way. And I, I told my staff at, in India, I told them, you know, you have 48 children here. I don't expect you to feel equally towards all these children. But when you cannot and you're struggling to love these kids, you just sit down and pray and tell the Lord, I am not able to do this. And he will give you the power to love these kids because you cannot do it on your own power. So I'm hoping that for those of us who have encountered Christ, and know his forgiveness, know that freedom from being oppressed by guilt, you know, years and years of carrying guilt from our sin and from shame, those of us who have been set free, those of us who have been transformed by that love, that no human love can match, that we will be compelled to do the things he's committed into our hands. That we take this message of Christ to people so that people can truly know God through him. And truly know that there is a God who loves them. I mean, I think I look at our children and I think to myself, you know, they had such rough lives before they came to Little Flock. They probably thought, I wonder if there's any God that really loves us. All the time, he was choosing them 
to come to Little Flock. They didn't know. But when they did come, you know, he, they learned that he knows them by name, that he has a future and a destiny for them. Can you imagine how that transforms a person? It just changes their life. So in the new year, I pray for you that you will not only come to a full knowledge of who Christ is and be transformed by the truth, but that you yourselves will be agents of that transformation. Because when Jesus left, he said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. He's going to come and teach you more about me. He'll impart truth to you. He'll give you power. Remember he said to his disciples, don't do anything till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. and Then you will be my witnesses. So I pray that along with Christ and the gift he gave us through his Holy Spirit, we can be people who can touch and bring healing to a hurting world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for being born into our world. Thank you for coming as an infant and embracing our life. Thank you for going through every suffering that we could go through, every temptation that we could ever anticipate. Thank you for walking the road before us and making it smooth for us to walk on it. Thank you for your promise that you will be with us till the end of age and for sending your Holy Spirit to open our minds to understand and receive this truth and for dwelling within us and being with us all the time. We thank you for your word that you left for us to read and to grasp and understand who you really are. And we thank you that there are things we can do to really touch your heart. So we pray that this new year we will grow more and more in knowledge of you, that we will develop a heart of love, allow you to work in our lives so that we can fulfill whatever purpose you have for us in this world. So I pray for this body of believers. I pray that you will empower them, fill them with your Holy Spirit, release gifts within them to fulfill the destiny for which you call them together as a body of believers, and that they would be a light in this world, different parts of the world, that you would use them to let people know that you genuinely love us and that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives that is good. So we bless this new year, and we welcome it in your name. And we give you thanks for all that you accomplished last year and all the ways in which you carried us last year and remained faithful to us. Lord, we look back at your faithfulness and believe in your faithfulness for this coming year. So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. That was cool. You know, it, it is the first Sunday. It is a new year. Uh, yesterday when I was uh, having my devotional time, I was just reflecting on how much our culture generates this concept of newness that's for us. Next Sunday I'll be teaching. Uh, we have um, an exercise that we have done every year for most of the years of our church. Uh, we'll have a cross and we'll have an opportunity for you to... Um, reflect 
this week and perhaps next Sunday as well, what is something that you want to put off from your life, uh, to put away, and then something that you want to put on to begin to do? I mean, that's, that's the point of fasting that we're going to be doing. Um, just as a comment for those of you who uh, haven't experienced that, we are going to be doing uh, a 40-day fast. Uh, we encourage folks to be prayerful about what is that thing that they can put off or put away for that season for the purpose of prayer and connection with God. And some people, that might be food. Uh, others, it might be time issues, um, movies or whatever. Getting up early has been a significant one for numerous in our congregation. But anyway, in reflection of that, next uh, week we'll have an opportunity uh, to physically take action, to reflect on what is something this year that I would like to put off, what is something that I would like to begin, um, and we will use that as a time. So I would just encourage you, uh, I was uh, stirred and and appreciated all that uh, VG shared with us, a great uh, testimony of one who has taken action. I know for myself that I have tended over the years to somewhat sort of stand back from the extremely needy uh, of our world, feeling there's nothing I can do. It's, it's too big. I'm too little. But I heard a story once. It's just a story. It's a made-up story. But I appreciated it, and it helps me, and I just want to end our service reflecting on this. There was a story told of a time when a storm washed ashore. Uh, thousands of starfish came up onto a beach one night. Um, a man finding, uh, coming down onto the beach for his morning walk found the starfish and, and began to pick them up one at a time and cast them into the water. Uh, within an hour or so, another man came down to the beach and saw the same situation and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm putting the starfish back in the, in the sea. And the man scoffed at him and said, well, that's not doing any good. He picked up the starfish. He said, it did good for that one. We can't minister to the millions. We can't minister to the 35,000 children dying tonight. But we can begin to take steps, as Viji did in her own life, in our lives, with the people we see, our neighbors next door, our co-workers, to take action that expresses the love and kindness of God. That's all he's asking of us, is each day for it to count, to matter. And so, Father, I just thank you for a new year, as Viji has already prayed. Thank you that you have brought us to this day, a time such as this, each and every day, an opportunity for newness to know you more and to partner with you in your work. So I welcome you, Holy Spirit, as she has prayed, to stir us to action, to stir us to mindfulness, to reflection, that we would be your people, responsive to the needs around us, to fulfilling the gifts and talents and passions you have instilled in us, and that we would be a united people carrying forth the good news of life in Christ. Thank you for this day and this opportunity. Might you be glorified in all that we do and participate in. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you would like uh, prayer uh, following the service, we would uh, like to interact. You'd like to talk with VG. She'll be here. 
uh, around for a few minutes. You're welcome to uh, talk with her about what their ministry is doing. Uh, the Youngs, Kevin and Cindy, of course, are members of our church. Um, we could. Um, could we have a couple people go get the baskets and we'll just do a special offering for a little flock? One of our board members has suggested that. Authority has spoken. Our executive, what did you, executive board? We've never used that word. We're just a bunch of people who kind of help lead the church. But uh, anyway, so we'll do that. If, if you would like uh, someone to speak with, if you have been stirred this morning uh, in your heart, um, reflective on uh, the new year, reflective on your life, um, there will be a few of us here at the front that would be happy to talk with you if uh, you would like to share with us that. And we can pray with you. If you have some physical needs or if you're experiencing uh, some challenges in your life, we would love that opportunity to do that. We got those baskets coming. Let's start up at the front, guys. It's, I think it's easier to do it that way. Then we know when it's done. Thank you for being with us. Uh, after we get these things passed around, you are dismissed. Uh, may you have a great and new year. God bless.